By the end of grad school, your project has brought you challenges, victories, failures, obstacles, successes. You may have experienced excitement, frustration, exhilaration, anxiety, satisfaction. You have asked questions, tested hypotheses, studied, discussed. But one question may remain unanswered. What comes after? In this episode, we'll be meeting Joe Macker, a guest that has deep insights to share about going through your graduate studies and about his transition to the job market. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to let you know that I've prepared for you a resource sheet to help you take a snapshot of your current situation and start defining your profile for the job market in your areas of interest. You can download it by visiting papaphd.com and following the instructions in the website footer. Welcome to the show. So today I'm going to be interviewing Joe Macker. Uh, who describes himself as a former scientist, uh, so he has a PhD, and he'll uh, he'll uh, tell he'll tell us about what it was. Now uh, now working in high end audio, he transitioned from researcher to uh, academic administrator to MBA student to business owner, and uh, in his words, perhaps the journey is not yet over. Let's see what he has to say. Hi, David. Um, yeah, you've kind of summarized what uh, my journey has been so far. I uh, briefly, I grew up in England and did uh, my undergraduate uh, at Cambridge with natural sciences. I started off doing mathematics and physics and ended up being a cellular molecular zoologist. Um, yeah, and then um, I came to Montreal for the first time um, and at the EMBL in Heidelberg did some research there on uh, viruses and arthritis in Montreal, went back to Cambridge to do a PhD on nuclear localization signals, um, which how proteins get into the cell nucleus and we had a pretty pioneering lab there. Um, and yeah, so, and then I came back to Montreal because I loved this place so much. Um, did some more arthritis research as a postdoc at the Shriners Hospital and then really found my calling in uh, neuroscience at the uh, uh, MNI, which is where uh, we met. And so I did a postdoc there with Phil Barker on nerve growth factor. Uh, and that, you know, segued into um, a job in industry where I was uh, researching um, anti-pain molecules and uh, uh, antagonists to N NGF nerve growth factor. Uh, the company was shut down by the venture capitalists, even though it was doing very well. And I eventually went into, um, uh, I guess, academic administration, where I became the first um, program administrator of what is now the McGill graduate program in neuroscience, the IPN integrated program in neuroscience. Yeah. So, and then from that, uh, um, eventually that uh, job um, ended and I stayed as an academic 
um, administrator now transitioning from science to uh, being the interim as, uh, assistant director of the MBA program at Concordia. And at that point, I realized, hey, this is a great program and I need to be uh, more savvy about the business world. And so I went from being assistant director of the program to being uh, one of the students. Um, so I finished my MBA 22 years after my PhD um, uh, just last year. And in between that time, a hobby of mine became um, I guess now my primary career in, and I now work in making computers for high-end audio. Okay, so I haven't put that really very well, but that's approximately the, the journey. Um, and we can talk about how these things came about, I guess, at some point. Cool. What's your uh, company called? It's called Betis Audio. And it was a company that was uh, founded in Montana. Uh, and uh, I took over the company, I guess, a year before my MBA ended while I was doing my MBA. Um, yeah, and I'm on very good terms with the former owner who's still kind of uh, helping out. He keeps coming out of retirement like a, <laughs> like a, a boxer. <laughs> All right. That's a very, uh, very interesting path you have there. Very, uh, you know, I'm sure that if you go uh, 20 years back, you could, you could, totally not predict all of the turns that happen and the doors that open to get you here. So, exactly. Uh, it's, it's yeah. Very cool. Yeah. There's lots of people and stories behind every transition. And I actually <laughs> missed out. I even missed out a couple <laughs> of those in the story, but yeah, there, there are people uh, of course, and I had no clue that I would be ending up. Uh, in fact, you know, I, 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 as if somebody said I'd be a business person, you know, I, I would think they were on crack. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm gonna I'm gonna now uh, ask you some questions about the beginning of this uh, of this uh, path because one of the one of the the questions and one one of the the themes that I want to cover in in uh, in this podcast is uh, helping people who are right now transitioning, either finishing a master's or a PhD uh, and, uh, or having just finished and that now feel that they are going to transition to something else. So, and uh, because we all, you know, you know, I know that, uh, uh, you know, these are very, very uh, large undertakings, a PhD especially, but even a master's and uh, they have challenges at times and, uh, and you may feel lost. So uh, the first question I, I would like to ask, and I know it's uh, it's far, like you said, 22 years, 22 years before your MBA, right? Uh, so I would like to know a little bit about the end of your graduate studies. Was it easy to find the motivation to complete them? Um, I would say it was not easy to find the motivation to complete them, but uh, as so often happens in life, it was something I was compelled to do. I had, uh, so this was in England where the PhDs were very short of duration, three years. And the first year and a half uh, yielded nothing. So I had a year and a half to get all my research done and produce uh, a thesis. Um, so the, what happened was I had already started working as a postdoc in the same building uh, in a different department at the University of Cambridge. And part of my 
condition of uh, employment was that I get my uh, thesis finished ASAP. Um, so yeah, that's so it was an incredibly hard time because uh, funding had run out. I had to work and you know write up my PhD at the uh, at the same time, um, as well as you know try to look after myself a little bit and do everything else that uh, um, we're supposed to be doing to look after ourselves. Of yeah, course. of course. So yeah, it was very it was uh, it was difficult. You know, I didn't want to work as hard as I did, but uh, mm-hmm. I had to, and I found the energy somehow. Excellent. So I imagine a lot of our listeners go through the same issue. I mm-hmm. certainly uh, uh, can totally identify with what with uh, what you're describing. Uh, what attitudes uh, would you say uh, accompanied you and guided you? to finish and then to bring you to where you, you were today? What would be a guiding principle you could share with our listeners? <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think uh, that there are a couple of things, right? One is, um, uh, and I think as, as graduate students, people get quite good at this, is submitting, <laughs> submitting to the fact that uh, something has to be done. Um, that you're you're just going to have to get down to work and get through things. Um, so resilience, you would say? Yeah, it's it's resilience, but also not resenting. Okay. Uh, when, you know, just not resenting that this has to be done, or even if you are resenting, just accepting <laughs> that that some things you know that sometimes um, you have to work. Be uh, above and beyond, you know, when there's no help available, when, um, uh, you know, you're in the lab and there are the lucky people, <laughs> there are the hardworking people, and there are the hardworking lucky people, and the people who, you know, um, are just working hard, but they don't get anywhere. And and to an extent, your luck is you know created by you too. But so there's the resilience, and then there's also something that else that um, I think has helped at every turn, but is also still a curse, right? Which is um, coming back from back to that period when you're finishing your graduate studies. Um, I think a lot of students tend to feel uh, this constant feeling of guilt if you're not working. You know, I should be working. Um, so, you know, whether it's a weekend, late at night, the, there was this always this uh, feeling of guilt. I must be working. I must be working. I must be working. And in some ways that's helped a lot because I transitioned into a person um, who's very dedicated to their work. Um, but at the same time, I think it blurs the distinction between where you end and your job starts. And so you become your job, uh, which is great at first, but it can take a big toll on one's health uh, to do, uh, to have that kind of attitude, not to mention, you know, relationships and, and, and so on. So, you know, with all things, there's a positive and a negative and you just got to navigate um, and best use the positives and not, go into the negative side but finding that balance is very difficult so it's very very interesting what you're saying uh, so let me uh, ask a question based on that for the sake of the people who are listening and who are now finishing and, and maybe struggling would you say that now all these years after 
do you still carry the bad with you or have you now sublimed all of it and, and are, are just using the good? Um, I would say, if, to be completely honest, that uh, I'm carrying the bad with me, but the difference is that as I get older, and I should have been able to do this a long, lot longer ago, I'm more able to recognize the bad and do something about it slowly. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, you know, it is something that uh, um, it stays with you unless you're very aware of it. I just took my time to become aware of it. And that's why I think podcasts like yours um, help, you know, in forewarning people to really put, I guess, put their health first, um, you know, ab above all. And I know it's a cliche, but uh, we need to hear it. For sure, for sure. And, and uh, what I'm hearing is, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, try, to, try and be able to separate emotion in those moments uh, from, uh, from the objectives and, and, uh, and, uh, and move on step by step. And years after, you're, you're, uh, you're going to keep from that experience of finishing such a, a hard project, which is, you know, which is the case uh, in these types of studies. You're going to keep some uh, knowledge, some tools that you can then use uh, to be a better professional, etc., uh, etc. Et Am I hearing right? Yeah, I, I guess that that's a good summary of it. I, what I mean to say is that uh, um, you know everybody has different objectives. Your supervisor has different objectives to what your objectives are. We should always um, think about our own objectives. Um, keep those in mind. Do not ignore other people's objectives, but be able to see where the common ground is and use that, right, as uh, the uh, look at where your objectives and the, the professors match. Um, look at what your life objectives are and follow that. My warning, I guess, is to say that don't let somebody else's objectives become your sole purpose of being, which at late stage graduate studies, you know, it, it can be that or, or during the graduate studies when uh, you've got uh, papers to write and a thesis to submit, whereas, uh, you know, doing uh, work in, in, you know, getting your professor publications um, is an important thing. That's where your um, objectives are aligned, but you've got to keep moving forward, not just allowing others to move forward and not yourself. All right. Okay. I, I, I agree. It's, um, and for sure, this, this, uh, this is one of the questions that, that is going uh, to be, uh, that, that we'll discuss a lot in this podcast because, uh, because I feel that you can easily, when you get, it's like Frodo, you know, in, in, the, in the Mountain of Doom. It's, a, 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 especially the last few miles are a very hard trek for, for a lot of people. Again, like you said, they're the lucky ones, like you said. And, and uh, we, we, it's hard sometimes to compare yourself with someone in, your, in the bench beside you that's just publishing left and right uh but but it's it's a it's a it's a path that that you need to 
walk and that you end up winning. The, the, the thing that I feel, and especially looking at you and at, at what, you, what you've achieved since, is that uh, the result, the suffering that you, that you feel at that time, especially to, at most, more, more at the end when you need to, there's pressure to finish because the funding over, etc. It feels like un, it's unsurmountable, but then it's over one day because that's how that's that's what happens. You 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 publish whatever you have, you you defend, and then it's over. And then you can you can take a lot of good things from the experience you had, uh, and uh, and 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 it'll it'll follow you. What you learned will follow you throughout your life. You you have skills that you maybe do not suspect that you gained throughout throughout that uh, that ordeal. Let's say absolutely. There's a lot um, that. Uh, there's there's a ton of stuff that uh, you learn. You learn, like you said, resilience, right? You learn to think under pressure. You learn to problem solve. Uh, you network and you make friends that um, will be your friends, um, but could also be useful in the future to get you to the next step. Like I said, in every transition, there was a person or a story to go with it. And all of these, you sow the seeds during your uh, graduate studies. Um, so th that's a, absolutely a very important point. And as the cliche goes, it gets better. Um, you know, even 10 years after my PhD uh, involved in, you know, I was still in academia at that point, but I very rarely thought about my PhD days uh, at that point, except for all the lessons that I took um, with me. Uh, you know, you learn cooperation, I hope, during uh, graduate studies, um, uh, a lesson that I think I, I didn't learn so well was the human spirit of competition as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. So uh, that was kind of difficult for me to, to, to reconcile. But um, you do, you take all of these uh, things forward with you and they are with you for life. So it's not just all the, you know, I, I talked about the guilt and all of that kind of stuff, but um, no, I mean, a lot of where, I, how I transition from one thing to another is predicated on being someone that people trusted and, um, you know, knew how hard I would, uh, would work and, and all of those, uh, qualities that are really honed during your PhD years or master's mm -hmm. years can, uh, help with all of that. So you're touching on something interesting and that I, that I'd like to talk about, which is how, how, how it is a, a real opportunity to spend those years in, in, a, an environment such as university. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you were talking about the skills that, that, that we, that we somehow, you know, learn and keep then throughout our lives from spending that time doing this project. So my question to you, uh, based on based on this, would be: What skills that you acquired at university would you say have been your greatest assets in reorienting your career, and which ones have been valued the most by your employers or by your peers in your in your uh, right? Path? Yeah, great, great question. I guess. Um... Uh, again, there are several different things. I, I guess I'll touch on three, right? One is the ability to research a topic and become familiar with it very quickly. You know, for example, when you're doing your PhD, um, some 
a new paper comes out that's a little bit that's very relevant to you in a very specific way, but you need to know a lot more about a different topic in order to fully understand. So, you know, being able to read uh, things and become an expert on or almost an expert on something overnight kind of thing, um, the ability to learn and assimilate data quickly, that is an important life skill no matter what you do. Uh, it's something that's possibly intangible, but it makes a hell of a difference in every, you know, in a business environment, in in uh, any kind of thing. You can get to know a field quickly. Um, another, I guess, is um, problem solving, and it's uh, related to the first, right? Coming up with uh, solutions using what you know um, to a identify what you don't know yet <laughs> um but also what can you achieve with what you know right and that is um invaluable in uh every aspect i mean i i think i think that way all the time right in, in even day-to-day -day, uh day-to-day -day work everything it can be solved um and you know i make custom-made computers for people um, and they're with very um, uh, customized parts. And sometimes you have to just solve physical puzzles given the tools and the materials that you have. And, and this becomes a lot more fun than, you know, trying to um, figure out an experiment that is going to make or break your PhD. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. So that's the second one. And I guess uh, the third is, um, uh, you know, I guess that it's the human element, right? Is to be someone who is approachable, who gives selflessly, um, but with the corollary, which I again learned later on in life, is to know when to ask for help. And uh, this is something that, uh, um, you know, when I was working with graduate students, doing a lot of uh, work at the uh, McGill IPN, um, working on you know their well-being and uh, helping them get through their work. Um, we had a careers panel run by Susan Molnar, um, and one of the first uh, things um, they did, you know, she she did was ask for a show of hands that um, you know how many people out there, um, when you needed help, uh, would be willing to ask for it. And I guess there were probably about 70 people in this room, maybe four hands went up. Um, and then she turned around and said, um, if somebody came to you for help, uh, how many of you would be uh, willing to give it, assuming that you could without detriment to yourself? And uh, I'd say 66 out of the 70 wow. <laughs> went up. And I'm, and I'm sure the four that put their hand up for the first one did as well, you know, uh, it, almost everybody. And so that was a huge lesson I learned that day that, you know, I feel that, uh, oh, yeah, if somebody needs help and I can do it, sure. And it's incredibly fulfilling to do so. Um, yet I'd always been reluctant to ask for help. And, and when someone can help, it makes them feel good. Uh, obviously, it's not to be abused, but to, so now one of the valuable skills that I've taken since my graduate studies is, you know, knowing when to help and when to ask for help. That's that's a, that's a really really good point you make, and uh, and uh, for sure, like uh, a project like a PhD, like a master's, uh, 
can feel or can at times be very solitary. I, I, you agree, right? And, yeah. uh, but it's a feeling. You're in the middle of tens of, uh, of people around you in the lab, depending on what domain you're working. But I, uh, I think what you're saying, uh, and, and tell me if I'm right, is don't believe that you're alone in your project. You, there's people around you that, that uh, and if the person next to you is not available to help you, the other person in the next, uh, on the next desk or on the next bench will. And, uh, and so I feel that that's an important skill for sure that I hadn't, uh, that I hadn't uh, thought about, which is be ready and uh, open to ask for help. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the show of hands uh, that you talked about is very telling. It's, uh, it's right. Yeah, I, I'm talking about definitely in the lab, you know, maybe with your professor, but knowing how to ask for help with the with the the right person is also a skill right, that you have to hone over time. But I'm talking about much more than that, you know, not just uh, will you change the medium on my cells for me tonight, you know, not just that kind of help. But I'm talking about, uh, you know, going to your friends and, and you know saying hey uh, oh man i'm really stressed about uh, um all the stuff that's going on you know i just need uh, um to hang out for a little while i need someone to talk to you know talk to your parents talk to anyone um that can help in any way so whether it's how you're feeling you know what your school work is is demanding of you uh help with the capital h Help, yeah, exactly. You know, whether it's uh, going to an expert in your university about something you don't know about and ask them for help um, in any shape or form, not just, you know, directly to do with your project, where our lives are more than just our graduate studies. It's true. And, and, and uh, as I remember it, at, at times you feel that, that those graduate studies are the, the, you know, the be all and end all of your life. That's it. Your life is. Yeah. And. It's kind of an illusion that is forced upon you by the by the system, but that you can, if you open up with other people like you're suggesting, you can um, diffuse it and 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 have a healthier outlook on what the project is for you and in the whole span of your grown-up life. Yeah, absolutely. Point. When you we embark on graduate studies, I think nobody nobody has an accurate picture of what it's going to be like. You know, you may know some, right. You may know someone who's, who's doing a PhD and you, you know, and you think, Oh, it's going to be different for me, but everyone has a, a different experience, but nobody really understands, uh, knows exactly what it's going to be like uh, before they start. So you have to be prepared to not know <laughs> that there is going to be an un, a big unknown and it's part of the excitement yeah, of course yeah. right um so yeah just just know that uh you don't know what you're getting into uh but it could be great yeah because uh, in my in my way of seeing i feel that science uh, and research is is romanticized in a way in in, mm -hmm. in the media and the way it's described uh throughout the, the different platforms and uh, you may hop onto a project like that, uh, having in your mind a bunch of examples of successes. You just see the successes. Right. And this touches on the other point that you were mentioning before of, oh, I'm the only one not getting results, and then my benchmates are publishing left and right. And in the end, uh, in, in the overall you know, uh, uh, existence of research, 
the successes are not you know are not that many and and or let's say what comes out onto the media as a big uh, breakthrough etc is comes on the shoulders of half half successes failures and and lots of them right yeah absolutely and, and, and so people should be conscious of that as they embark on the journey which is a great journey which is a great journey even if your result uh, and and uh, and, uh, and uh, what you the answer that you find is not as you know fun not as uh, striking as you as you would like or as you would imagine yeah i mean i went from um academic research to heading a department in a um pharmaceutical company and still working on the bench while i was doing that but the types of experiments we were doing um were just to establish data on the drugs that we we had um uh developed which that and what that really meant was um these were not exploratory experiments these were data generating experiments so okay. we went from i went from you know 90% failure wow. <laughs> in academic <Yeah>. research right <laughs> to to you know, more than 90% success and and the difference was astounding you know um in uh, in a lot of research you're expected uh to fail repeatedly and not let that affect your morale but we are human beings right we're supposed to work harder and with even more enthusiasm the more we fail and there's a word for people like that that's masochism um and it's very different from the real world when you're out there um when i finally started doing things that reflected how hard i was working in the success um that was um that was really great uh, and and to take with that the resilience that i developed during academic research um and coupling that with being rewarded for your hard work in an approximately equal amount you know um you you really begin to earn what you the hard work that you put in right you you reap the rewards which you cannot say in uh research is guaranteed by any means so so the resilience i learned from that uh experience of you know a frequent failure um made me stronger of course but it also made me stronger than the average person who never went through that right so you know uh, it i feel very lucky to have gone <laughs> through that although i didn't feel lucky at the time exactly i i i, I identified <laughs> totally so it looks like there's there's a bunch of good uh things that we bring with us after after uh, grad school and that serve us well and, and that make us uh that make us good uh workers good uh, good, good entrepreneurs you know resilient people in uh, in uh, in adult life which is great and um a little another little question about university uh how how do you feel going through university going through grad school reflects today in terms of your networking does do the people you crossed throughout your your academic path still uh, somehow now populate your your uh, your current network yeah so you know, there are lots of people that i used to see every single day of course uh in graduate studies whom um i don't 
see very often or speak to very often. But of those, there's a subset that I know that I can always go to um, that will always have my back and vice versa um, when it comes to careers advice or, uh, or you know, I could uh, go to my friend Dan, Dan and say, Dan, um, I'm looking for a change in career. Do you know uh, of something that might be good for me out there? You know, there are there's certainly people who are still in academia that uh, I would turn to, and not just for academic advice, not just for uh, academic careers advice, but these days, there's not a professor out there who doesn't have industry links. You know, there is. There's not a professor out there who um, hasn't looked for, you know, f sources of funding that combine industry with um, with academic research. So, of course, everyone, um, you should never exclude anyone from your network, really, right? Like, just as I've said, uh, nobody knows what they're getting into when they go into uh, studies, uh, into acad um, graduate studies, nobody knows uh, which person in their network is going to give them that magic ticket that uh, helps you leap to the next step? Yeah, that, that's true. I feel the same, and uh, and and I feel that it's a uh, going to university is a great moment to to develop your network because you're in a milieu which is filled with very driven people, with uh, people with many different interests and uh, and different strengths, and and uh, and uh, for sure for me. Uh, I, I agree with your with your answer completely, which is uh, it's totally uh, it totally has a positive effect on the network of people that that you know and that may somehow uh, lead to collaborations or or even joint ventures in in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a case in point is my uh, postdoctoral professor at the MNI. You know, um, at first I really liked him you know when i when i met him i thought oh this is great but soon as i wasn't producing work and it was really my own my own issues and faults at the time you know our relationship soured a little bit and then things started to pick up and i was uh, doing great work and i got to know him better and now we have a tremendous amount of respect for each other and i think he's um an amazing person and he's helped me tremendously um, over the years. And even though he's not even in the same province and is thousands of kilometers away now, uh, I could pick up the phone and know that he will uh, do his utmost to help. And, you know, those are the kind of uh, people and relationships uh, I feel lucky to have. That's great. No, it's a, uh, I, it's great to hear. And, uh, and, uh, and I believe that, uh, Anyone going through through grad school will come out uh, knowing lots of very interesting people, and that uh, that can totally uh, be part of of uh, their adult life in terms of be it collaboration or friendship, like you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and, um, and so it's another positive aspect for me of of going through grad school is that sure. that social the social aspect. Now I'd, I'd like to cover some some more practical uh, questions, maybe for, for our listeners, um, uh, to do with cultivating yourself. And uh, because I feel that during graduate studies, we can tend to feel that research and academic uh, activities, uh, our work we, we do for others, and uh, we kind of touched on this already. But 
given the size and duration of these projects, it's easy to forget yourself in the process, right. especially for studies, uh, students coming from outside who do not have uh, the safety net of family or a close-knit group of friends. So in your experience, what habits or resources have helped you cultivate yourself as an independent person during your studies and come out ready to promote yourself in the job market? Right. So as for promoting myself, I've never been <laughs> particularly good at that. And I think a lot of uh, people in graduate school are not so good at that. But that's where, you know, career services and so on can really help you do that. Um, so let's go back to uh, the other part of the question. Um, I think what's really what really helped me was having a broad range of interests outside of my work. Right. And, uh, that really, really helped because, um, uh, you know, when, for example, I was really into physical fitness uh, when I was doing graduate studies as well. And so eventually, uh, while I was doing a postdoc, I was supplementing, you know, my income with uh, a personal training. And uh, and at one point I was thinking of uh, giving up all of science to actually become um someone more involved in physical fitness uh, you wouldn't think to look at me now but <laughs> um but you know i i even presented at the world's largest health and fitness uh, conference and you know combining my science with that um but having hobbies interests doing sports um which are all of course ways of networking and meeting with people as well um at the time of course i wasn't doing any of this with that thought of networking and how it could promote my future career. Um, I don't particularly think that uh, um, anyone who's doing it just for that purpose is going to be as successful for someone who, you know, is just interested in these things. Um, but of course they all contribute because it gives you something to fall back on, uh, to let out, let off steam, to, to de-stress. And one of those hobbies, um, has led directly to the business that I'm running right now. Um, so yeah, that was, that, that's the thing. Um, I come back to this again and again, not to forget yourself. Don't just become a one trick pony. Uh, your academic studies are very important, possibly more important than most of the things in your life, but you still have a life outside of that. Um, and that can, again, just like networking, you never know when those interests or hobbies are going to open doors for you in a very unexpected ways. Cool. And, and I feel from what you're saying that somehow it, uh, it kind of dismantles that feeling of the PhD or the, or the, the master's is the only thing that matters in my life right now. Yeah. And uh, look, uh, anyone who feels that, um, I don't blame them for it. I've been through that, you know, uh, to the point when things are not going well you're not just despairing for your graduate studies, you despair for your whole life, right? You just think, uh, uh, what am I going to do? I'm you failing, know, right? I'm, I'm, I'm failing, yeah. but you're, you're not, you know, um, you are developing this resilience, the skills that you're going to need um, out there, no matter what you do. Right. And that's that's a really important message that it feels like, it, you know, things are not going well. But the more you have in your life at the time, um, uh, the more doors can open, the more options you have, the more outlets you have to help you deal with 
what the biggest thing in your life at that time, which is your graduate studies. It's it's big, but it's not all. So would you say that that the the way to take a positive out of out of this, especially when you're in the in the in the eye of the tornado, let's say, is there's there's these fears, there's these obstacles, and uh, this is not as easy as I had envisioned it. But I'm gonna come out of this stronger. Yeah. Uh, again, when you're in the eye of the storm, you don't know that, right? And I think this is why your podcast and other uh, media uh, that can help p open people's eyes to that fact that it will get better. I am getting stronger. It's not all despair. How do you turn that moment of darkness into um, being able to see that silver lining on the cloud? You know, how do you see, how do you take that um, negative thought and turn it into the most positive um, You know, you can do that in retrospect. Yeah, but it's if, easier. Yeah. Right. But if you can just accept, and this is going back to submission, you know, if you can just submit that f to that um, uh, away from the feeling that everything is doom and gloom and just believe that uh, um, all these people are saying it gets better. <laughs> you know, and you're learning and you if you can just, be, uh, you know, take that on board, um, It, if it can provide some strength to you, that is, uh, you know, that's a very worthy thing to have happen. It's like it's like when you're uh, when you become a parent, right? Nobody's ready to become a parent, right? And so when everyone says, "Oh, yeah, it's the best thing in my life," and you just think, "No, no, 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 no way! I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not ready, I'm not ready," and then you just submit to it when it happens, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully planned, and then. Um, That's what I'm saying, you know, that if, if uh, you graduate students listening to this can realize that uh, um, you are developing things and skills and strengths that, um, that you might not be able to see right now, um, you know, that's a very important message I'd like to make sure people can take on board. It's happening even though you're not noticing it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, quickly about this... this um how do you say, cultivating yourself. And, and I know that you said it's promoting yourself. And I agree, uh, apart from uh, some, uh, some events that, that were promoted by, by the Career and Placement Department, uh, I, I don't remember having any, any, any uh, training or, or anything like that about promoting oneself, especially in the academic domain. And it, it might be, or it is important in, today, in, in uh, today's world for sure. But my point that I was going to ask is, did you have people that were pivotal at some someone that you would consider a mentor uh, that was pivotal during this path of uh, going through academia through academia uh, doing you know doing postdocs etc and then finding your uh, your current your current career path right um in terms of mentors unfortunately i would say no i um and that goes back to the how many people want to ask for help And how many people? So at that time, I was, you know, I'd be mortified to uh, ask for help, right? At that uh, earlier on in my career. Uh, now I understand the value of it and I understand the value of the message that it sends. If you ask someone for help, it shows that you do not think that you are completely invincible. You know, it gives, adds a touch of humanity to you, which actually makes uh, potential employers. Um, think more highly of you 
than someone who you know just wants to uh, think that they can do it themselves. Um, but later on in my career transitions, yeah, there were people who I considered friends or former uh, employers, you know, that have helped uh, tremendously, put in a good word, made a recommendation, um, and sometimes I get people reaching out to me now because of something that uh, you know, someone said. So the director of the IPN. Um, in uh, my career, you know, we got along very well and we worked super hard together. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, she went and told someone, oh, Joe is finishing his MBA soon. Uh, he would be great for this position. And they reached out to me and it was true. You know, it would be exactly the sort of thing that I would have loved to have done a few years ago. Um, and so, yeah, I have uh, people that I know that, again, um, I could reach out to uh, for mentorship, for help, um, but these all came, you know, as a result of prior experience and networking, etc. Yeah, so you know, um, but mostly I had to go it alone. I'm fortunate in that um, I'm not Canadian. I have an an accent that people uh, makes people want to just hear what I have to say. And then fortunately, by some crazy coincidence, the things that come out of my mouth sometimes paint a good picture of me. (laughs) That's about as much self-promotion as I can manage. (laughs) Uh, That's that's funny. Well, well, you you do very well for yourself. uh, And and you're... uh, it's a pleasure to to be talking with you. And and now actually we're uh, I'm at my last question. Okay. Which uh which is kind of trying to to uh give some advice to to the listeners. And um the question is I'm going to ask you to imagine that you're standing in front of an audience full of young finalists or graduate or young graduates, people just like you when you finished your studies and uh they're struggling. They're struggling through fears, worries, doubts, and obstacles to find their place in the job market, to trace their journey towards a productive and fulfilling life. So what two or three basic strategies or principles could our listeners follow starting today to put in place a realistic and attainable transition project to their life in the workplace, in the, in the work market? Right. Uh, well, firstly, I think one of the things that everyone should think about is um, there are a lot of people out there who have been through graduate studies who are not working in academic uh, subjects now, right? They went into academia thinking that that's what they would do, that they would be academics later on. The reality didn't uh, work out. Very few of those people are homeless or living below the poverty <laughs> line, right? That should just tell you something, right, that um, you are employable, you are likable, you are going to be okay. <laughs> and you shouldn't let you know th- those thoughts of, oh my God, my world is collapsing around me. Uh, what am I going to do? Um, everyone should have an idea of what they want to do or should be developing such an idea, but you shouldn't be mortified and worried about that, right? So that's just the first thing I wanted to get off my chest. Um, so yeah, so that's your you know fears and worries. Um, at the same time, of course, you don't just say, "Oh yeah, everything's going to be all right. Nobody's homeless." Blah blah blah. You still have to work towards it, and that's where the specific advice I think comes in. Um, one thing to remember is um, the world is driven by money. <laughs> 
but um that's reality and that's one of the things that uh, i think you know, doing the mba was invaluable to me now i feel that uh, every person not just in you know, an academic everyone should have a knowledge of finance and money we get into academics not thinking about these things and we think that we'll never need to think about these things mm-hmm. but we all do right so that's one thing is learn how the world really works <laughs> i think that's super important because that sets that sets a backdrop you know you might be in your 20s now one day you're not one day you're going to have a family and you're going to you know you're going to need to know about these things um and know about the people who run the world what their motivations are and how uh you can live a life that is both morally correct but at the same time not um a way you know in in a way that you're not uh playing the game and always going to be in poverty right so learn learn about finances is one thing that's really important the other thing is that money drives the world yes that's true but there's always there are always people behind it right uh you'll see that uh countries have policies but uh those policies are executed by people and people make those policies so your relationships with people i think are the number one thing for me in the whole world right is uh in your whole life is the relationships you make and you are not um Uh, you, you know you've got this karma bank i guess you know that you can feed into um but in general um those people are can be future mentors they can be people who will help you uh, go to the next step they can be people that you can just hang out with to relieve stress or you can be the person uh, they could be people that you can help right in the future which will help you tremendously internally just knowing that uh, you know you did something useful so your relationships with people i think are paramount and of course you're not going to get along with everyone <laughs> you know uh, um uh but you know being very aware of how um you present yourself how you come across and i'm not saying that uh if you're an introvert you're doomed or if uh you know you're not a gregarious person you're not going to get anywhere that's not at all true if you have one or two close relationships with people um uh, that could be you know that 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 could be all it takes to get further in your lives so um so what that means to me is looking to grow constantly and and I'll, and I'll be honest a lot of the stuff that i i would now advise is because i didn't do those things because i learned from my mistakes right uh, and some of these things i still struggle with maybe you know they're beyond my capability but uh they may not be beyond all your other uh, other people's but is to look at uh, how are you growing you know are you at peace with yourselves because that's what anyone who sees you can pick up on you know um we have very strong intuitions um but are you still learning stuff you know i thought i've got a phd i'm an intelligent person um uh, but when i was doing my mba i realized that um if you're not studying something quite rigorously you know 
you don't feel you you know, you know especially of course i was in my late 40s doing my mba as well but you don't uh, uh your mind does begin to stagnate so keep learning because after a year of my mba i felt i was 20 years younger mentally again my agility came back and that was great you know it was a great feeling um so i would say just keep learning no matter what it is do a coursera course you know uh learn about uh um extraterrestrial life you know uh if uh, there's a course on the search for extraterrestrial life or you know learn about anything i think that's really important and again every opportunity increases your network um so relationships keep learning um and think about um what somebody else sees when they look at you mm. Those are, uh, yeah, very, very important points. And, uh, and um, so what, I get, what I'm getting from that is you, with your PhD or your master's, you, become, you became a very specialized learner. So now you have a license to learn. Uh, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm understanding. And so now you don't want to stay in academia anymore. Well, you're more than, uh, you have more than the skills to learn something that interests you and learn it very well so go do it and and become someone you know someone with even more knowledge and more skills uh, yes there is that but also just learning for the sake of it it helps your mind stay active young and uh, makes i think just makes you a more attractive person um because um your mind is agile, agile. You know? good yeah exactly Well, uh, Joe, I think our time is over. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, uh, to uh, come do this interview with me. It's been a pleasure. I think we touched on many important points. Uh, I think this definitely will help a lot of, a lot of people, all of the listeners. Um, and uh, I, know, I hope maybe sometime I'll have you on again uh, to speak about some specific, uh, specific points that, that we may have just brushed this time. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like love to tell you how I got into the job that I'm doing now. Uh, it's an incredible story. So maybe another time. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Probably another okay. episode then. Well, thank you so much, uh, and uh, and uh, we'll talk soon then. Okay. Thank you, David. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.